After what turned into kind of a disappointing week in Birdland last week after the O's came up empty at the winter meetings, I knew you all had questions, and I am here to answer them on this Mailbag Monday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, December 12th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to open up the mailbag, a Mailbag Monday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, where I will answer nine listener questions. Again, they all come from you, the listener, hitting on topics like, The Orioles ballpark extension, whether or not the O's should sign Cedric Mullins to an extension. Are we worried about the O's not handing out extensions to guys like Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson? We'll talk about some other free agents who are out there that the Orioles could go after. Taking a look at what the O's rotation could look like next year and much, much more is all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Leave a five-star rating and a review if you can. And make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. This is our final week of the offseason with five episodes this week. So I'll be coming to you every day, Monday through Friday this week. But then starting next week, We'll bump it down to three episodes a week, but still, all the Orioles off-season coverage will generally come to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's starting next Monday, December 19th. We'll still have it all covered for you here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. But let's jump right into the mailbag today, a Mailbag Monday episode of the pod. Again, if you would like to submit a mailbag question for a future mailbag episode, email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet at us at LockedOnOrioles as well and get you more info about where to send in those questions coming up at the end of the episode. But let's start with the mailbag. Our first question of the day comes from listener Mark, who I always thank for getting in his questions. And his question via email kind of boils down to this. Could decisions on the ballpark lease at Camden Yards and the free agent spending give any indication on whether or not the Angelos family is going to sell the Orioles. And listen, this is a hard hitter to start out the mailbag. And again, thank you to Mark for the question. So let's kind of look at the facts first. Right now, the Orioles lease with Oriole Park at Camden Yards ends after the 2023 season. So if the Orioles did absolutely nothing, they would only have one more year, one more season, this upcoming season, in the agreement with the ballpark. Now, they can negotiate try to find a new lease, but this current lease also has a pretty easy out. The Orioles can exercise a one-time five-year extension with the ballpark if they opt into that by February 1st of 2023. So they have about a month and a half to do so, but if they do it, they get five more years and the lease wouldn't be up until after the 2028 season. That gives you a whole lot more time to put together a new one. Now, the Angeloses reportedly are preparing to sign that one-time extension and get those five extra years. Even with all of the infighting and just the 
stupid stuff that's happening within that family right now that's impacting the Orioles, I have 95% confidence that they're going to at least sign that lease extension and get the five extra years. I'm, I'm pretty confident that's going to happen. But if it does not, it's interesting to think, you know, if they don't sign that by February 1st. Now, again, the O's will still get this upcoming season at Camden Yards, but it'll be a question mark after that. If they didn't sign it, I almost can't imagine a situation where they don't sign it. But even if they do sign it, which I think they will, I don't think that gives indications whether or not they're going to sell because they need somewhere to play, selling or not selling the team. But if they don't sign it, I mean, obviously that starts the rumors of, are the O's going to move to Nashville? Are the O's going to move in general? Maybe that means they're going to sell because they think who they're going to sell it to is going to try to move the team. And that's why they wouldn't sign it. But you can't just move the team in one year that quickly. And so I would have to think they're going to sign that five-year extension. Now, in terms of the free agency part of the question, like how does the spending this offseason impact maybe a look into the Angelos' plans? You will hear a lot of economic-type people talk about, you know, if you are willing or thinking about selling your baseball team, the economic principle thought about it is you wouldn't spend a lot of money in free agency right before you're about to sell. Because someone who's smarter than me can tell you why that's the case. But in general, it has to do with the more and more signings you make, the more obviously money you have to spend in operating the team, and the more people you have to pay, and the less money there is into operating the baseball team, the easier it is for someone else to come in and buy it. Now, if you had a super rich Steve Cohen type come in, it probably wouldn't matter what the current operating costs are. As you can see by what the Mets are doing, of course, also signing Kodai Senga to a very team-friendly five-year, $75 million deal on Saturday. Another pitcher off the board that the Orioles, I would have hoped, could have gone after, but he doesn't really care about what anything costs. But if you're not going to bring in a Steve Cohen type owner and you still are going to sell the team... I guess it does make it a little more attractive if there are less contracts on the books. Like right now, what the Orioles roster looks like right now, that's a pretty attractive, at least if you think in that economic sense I'm talking about, pretty attractive team to buy, I would guess. Now, again, if an owner is going to come in and really spend big money and turn this team around and take this team from the Angeloses, you would like to think that owner also wouldn't care if the Orioles had a few, you know, four or five-year free agent contracts on the books right now because they would have enough money where, oh, these are good players. These are going to help us get to winning faster. That's what you would hope. But these billionaires are big babies sometimes. And so maybe that goes into some of the Angelos' thinking this offseason. We're going to sell. Let's not spend. Is that a worthy trade-off? You know, if I told you right now the Orioles' only free agent is going to be Kyle Gibson. That's it. That's all they're going to sign this offseason. Maybe they trade for a player. But that's their only signing. But if I told you that the Angeloses are going to sell the team next offseason, the caveat is they're only going to sign Kyle Gibson this offseason. Would you take it? That's something I'd have to think about. I'm all that over, but maybe that's the possibility. I just don't know enough about the Angelos lawsuit at this point, even though there's a lot of public details about how bad it is in there, but it's bad. And I think the baseline of this question is they need to sell the team. 
Now, are these signs towards them selling? Maybe. Maybe them not spending right now is a sign, but they haven't spent over five years since they brought Mike Elias in. So really nothing different so far this offseason. I hope they sell the team. Next question comes from the Joker on Twitter who asks, would you rather sign a starting pitcher to a multi-year deal or trade for a starting pitcher who has a couple years left on his rookie deal and then extend him after that? Now, in principle, my answer to this question is always sign the starting pitcher. Your owner should clearly, as they always do, even if they don't want to spend it, have enough money to sign those pitchers. And then when you think about it, Say the Orioles went and signed Carlos Rodon. Signed him for, you know, reportedly he wants seven years. You signed him for seven years, $210 million. All you're giving up is $200 million out of your owners, your super rich billionaire owners' pockets. Let's flip to Corbin Burns. And Corbin Burns is, is better than Rodon. Let's say Brandon Woodruff from the Brewers, their number two pitcher. If he pitches at his peak, he could be around the area of how good Rodon is. So the Orioles trade for Brandon Woodruff. Yes, he'd be much cheaper over the first two years. But you'd be giving up some... I mean, you probably have to throw in a Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser, maybe a Jackson Holiday, something like that, to get a Brandon Woodruff. A Grayson Rodriguez, a D.L. Hall, maybe. You're giving up players, and then, if you're going to extend them, you're still giving up that big money to keep them there. So obviously, the easy answer is you'd rather sign the free agent starting pitchers because your owner should be operating that we've got the money, let's do it, and then you keep your prospects as well. That's kind of the best of both worlds. Now, it doesn't really work like that in the Orioles' sense. They kind of have to do one or the other. And right now, if you're asking me what would you do for the rest of this offseason, right now I'd honestly rather trade because unless the Orioles are going to give out the seven-year big money deal that Carlos Rodon wants, which I don't think they're going to, and reportedly, Chris Bassett wants four, maybe five years at age 34. And I don't think the Orioles are willing to do that either, although they are in on Bassett and talking to his people. At this point, your better options are via trade. And the Orioles have a top five farm system in baseball. They have so much talent, a depth of hitting prospects to trade away, that they can go get an ace-type starting pitcher via trade. And then, you know, maybe they get a guy with two years left on his rookie deal. And then after 2024... Maybe there's new owners here, or maybe the Angelos are still here, but finally willing to spend, and then the O's are willing to pony up the money to extend that pitcher. So in the current Orioles state right here on December 12th, I'd say trade, but in principle, always signing the pitcher is easier. Third question of the day comes from Brian on Twitter, who asks, does the lack of long free agent offers that the Orioles have been even willing to give out were you about the chances of extending Adley Rutschman? And this is a good question. And actually, Jason on Twitter also asked kind of a similar version of this question, so kind of combining the two here in the mailbag. But it's interesting to think about because we went into this offseason saying, hey, one of the things the O's should try to do is extend Adley Rutschman. And now it would be great to do Gunnar Henderson as well. I think they're going to probably wait for a more full MLB season from him. I think this time next year we start having that Gunnar Henderson extension conversation as long as he lights the world on fire like I think he will. But you got almost a full season of Adley. He looked amazing. He's going to be the best catcher in baseball pretty soon if he's not already. JT Realmuto, really the only guy up there with him, maybe Sean Murphy. But you got to extend him. 
He's only going to get more expensive as you go on. But to answer the question, I am a little bit worried because, you know, you hear some rumblings about the Orioles' dealings with starting pitchers who were out there. And, for example, the Orioles were in on Jamison Tyon. He gets a four-year deal from the Cubs. The Orioles were willing to kind of pay right around the average annual value that he got from the Cubs, which was about 15, 16, 17 million a year. They were not willing, it sounds like, to go more than two years on Jamison Tyone. Same thing happening, it sounds like, with Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett wants at least a four and maybe a five-year contract. Now, not a lot of teams want to give him that because he's 34, and he'll probably get around $20 million a year. Sounds like the Orioles are in on him. From what I've heard, they're certainly willing to give a two-year deal worth, you know, maybe 40-plus million. But doesn't feel like they're willing to give out more years than that. And same with even, you know, they brought in Kyle Gibson on a one-year deal. He wasn't going to get a multi-year deal from anyone. I mean, he's 35 years old. But even Noah Syndergaard, you know, the Orioles are very in on Syndergaard. It sounds like, you know, they're only offering about a two-year deal, which is fine. He maybe needs more of a a prove-it deal again because we're still not exactly sure what he is coming off the Tommy John surgery. But you got to be willing to give up more than two-year deals to get a guy in. And also to keep a guy like Adley Rutschman. I still think that if they're going to spend money, they're going to do it on extensions for their young guys first before they do it to outside free agents, which makes me a little less worried. But I am worried because it's going to take a 10-plus year deal to get that Adley Rutschman extension done right around now. And it's going to be big money at the end of the deal. Are the Orioles willing to do that right now? Especially with the Angeloses just bickering and fighting and suing? I don't know. They need to do it now. It'd be a great step forward for the franchise and for free agents to see, oh, they're really serious. I'm a little worried. I am. We got six more mailbag questions, though, to go coming up here on the pod. Some great questions from you, the listeners, that we will get to coming up after the break, including some thoughts about the Orioles fan base right now, a a look at kind of the back end of the rotation, and a question about a Cedric Mullins extension potentially as well. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this December. Now listen, two, well, three days really left of the World Cup. You got each of the semifinal days this week and then the final next Sunday. And you can get all the lines and the odds on every match from the World Cup. But there's also, back here in the U.S., got the NFL every Sunday. We're very close to college football bowl season. Get all the odds on every bowl game. And then you got the NBA. You got the NHL. You got college basketball. Anything you can want, they've got it at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I'm hoping you do if you're listening to this one, you can find those at BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline where the game starts. So we're back here on a Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked on Orioles podcast, answering your Orioles questions. And our fourth question of the day comes from Seth on Twitter, who asks, essentially, why is the Orioles fan base so vocally discontent about this offseason so far? Went on to talk about, you know, it's it's got plenty of time left, and you know, maybe they weren't ready to spend, and they still have great prospects and everything that goes along with that argument. 
I think the number one thing that's causing discontent for me and, and a lot of other people is the things Mike Elias said starting after the trade deadline with liftoff and what he's continued to say and backtrack. When you get a fan base that excited by what he said after the deadline, maybe trying to save face a little bit, and I talked about this a lot at the end of Friday's episode, so make sure to go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. But that's set expectations, and then he's just backtracked on those expectations one by one. You add that to the fact that the Orioles had an amazing 2022 season. They went from 52 wins to 83 wins, a 31-win increase. But you have to remember, they did all of that pretty much with in-house guys and very unproven in-house guys. I mean, Rugnet Odor certainly helped. Jordan Lyles certainly helped. I don't know how much Robinson Torinos really helped, but those are the only three agent guys. But on the one hand, you can say, oh, if they did all that with the in-house talent, they've got more in-house talent coming. Why can't they just stick with that? Okay, but the more realistic flip side of that is all of this unproven talent in their first big league seasons, a lot of them overachieved, especially on the pitching side, especially in the bullpen. Regression is going to happen. Now, you don't know from who and how badly, and some guys will continue to get better, but some guys will regress, and you have to be able to account for that. So at the very least, you need to bring in better veteran stop gaps. Kyle Gibson was a start. A guy like Noah Syndergaard would be another guy. And, you know, you think about backup catcher or you think about left-handed hitters and other guys, maybe a veteran reliever or two, to protect against that regression. That's the least you need to do. And the Orioles haven't done that. It's only been Kyle Gibson. But what's even better is immediately upgrading so then the younger, unproven guys become the depth. You go out and you get a Carlos Rodon. And then Tyler Wells becomes starting depth. He's had one good relief season and one solid but injured starting season, if Tyler Wells becomes your sixth or seventh starter, and if he can't get a rotation spot, he dominates in the bullpen like he did in 2021, and then when you need him to start sometimes because of injury, he can give you five, six solid innings like he did in 2022, that's perfect for a team trying to get to the playoffs. But if you're instead relying on Tyler Wells to be your number four starter, and he can only really get through five innings, and you know he's having his first trip up as a starter, and he gets injured again, which has happened multiple times, that becomes a problem. But the Orioles haven't done any of that. And that's where the frustration lies. Plus, you have all the payroll flexibility in the world. The Orioles last in payroll last year. They're projected to be in the bottom five again this year. You've got so much room to spend. And so many other teams were so active at the winter meetings. And the Orioles were not. And a lot of the players we saw the Orioles target went off the board in San Diego last week. So you combine all that. That's why it's frustrating, and I get it. There's still more time. It's December 12th. There's a lot of offseason remaining, and as I talked about back on Friday's episode, there's still a lot of good free agents out there, plus some trades that the Orioles could make to make the team better. But this seems to be the perfect time for the Orioles to spend, coming off the 30-win increase. You've got some buzz. You've got some excitement in the fan base. You've got all this money. Michael Elias targeting this offseason from the start. This would be the time that they would start to go, and it just hasn't happened yet. And I'm still staying somewhat patient because there's plenty of time in the offseason and still good players available. But it's frustrating when this many good players have gone off the board. And the Orioles are reportedly you know, in on these guys with two-year deals. And then they're signing mega four- or five-year deals that the O's don't seem to be anywhere close on. That's where the frustration lies. And it doesn't have to be Carlos Correa, Carlos Rodon you know, coming in this offseason. That'd be amazing. 
but you got to add a little bit more because you got to have protection for this young roster. Because if the Orioles go in with this current roster they have right now, everybody coming back plus Kyle Gibson, if there's regression, it could get ugly. This team could win just 70 games next year. And that really is a big step backwards. You do not want that. We just want them to continue to build and move forward because it's been too many years of losing. It's time to keep winning, not just be satisfied with what happened last year. Next question comes from Milo on Twitter who asks, how much would it help the Orioles to sign another kind of back end of the rotation starter, another number three or number five starter like Sean Manaya or Noah Syndergaard? And this is a good question because the Orioles, as I said, they're in on Noah Syndergaard. They met with him via Zoom. They reportedly have a, about a two-year deal out there on the table for him. We'll see if he takes it. And Sean Manaya, we haven't heard as much about connection with the Orioles, but you would think they're talking to his people as kind of a bounce-back candidate. But again, a couple years ago, you're thinking Sean Manaya and Noah Syndergaard, that's a one-two in a rotation. Well, each guy's bit had some injury problems, had some ineffectiveness, and they're more of back-end guys now. They're still legitimate MLB starters, but they're not aces anymore. Maybe they could be again. We'll see. But I think they're solid upside plays for the Orioles. Now, let's say Noah Syndergaard is the next guy. He's been very connected to the Orioles. I think there's a good chance if they sign another pitcher, it's going to be Noah Syndergaard. To answer the question, he makes the team better. Right now, you know, you have Gibson in there. You add in Noah Syndergaard. I think both those guys are guaranteed to have rotation spots on opening day for the Orioles, something we'll get to in our next question. And it does make the team better. Now, it's not an ideal offseason if your only additions starting pitching-wise are Noah Syndergaard and Kyle Gibson. Two of the guys who were on the Phillies playoff roster but didn't factor in nearly as much. I mean, Gibson was basically a mop-up guy throughout the postseason run, and Syndergaard was a starter, but they take him out after three innings pretty much every time. So it's not that they were really trusting those guys to get them to a World Series, and I don't know if the Orioles would be able to either. Now, again, it makes you better. You have certified, legitimate MLB guys taking over for spots that would be filled by maybe Tyler Wells or Austin Voth or Spencer Watkins. That, no question, makes the team better but not as much better as we would have liked out of this offseason. And they do need another starting pitcher. Again, Kyle Gibson, the only guy on the roster right now among starting pitchers who has pitched at least one good and full MLB season. Nobody else has done that of this projected rotation. So they need more guys who have done that, as I just talked about in the last question, those fallback options for when guys regress or get injured or whatever it may be. You need that depth. So yes, another 3-5 to five starter like Manaya or Thor would help this team. No question about it would make them better. But it would also be disappointing if like Syndergaard and Gibson were the only two starting pitching signings. Sixth question of the day comes from Perry on Twitter, who asks, will the Orioles sign Cedric Mullins to a multi-year contract extension? Interesting question as well, because I don't think it's probably something the Orioles are really flushing out right now. So Mullen still has three years left. He's not a free agent until after the 2025 season. So the O's have some time. He just became arbitration eligible for the first time this offseason. So he's still very cheap to start in center field for them. He's 28 years old. He'll be 31 by the time he becomes a free agent and had a 3.4 war season this year. Wasn't amazing, but he was just a, a really good player. Of course, coming off the unbelievable six war season in 2021, where he was an all-star 30-30, completely broke out for the Orioles. I still don't think we quite know who Cedric Mullins is. 
I think he's closer to the player he was this year than he was last year. I think he's more of a three to four win center fielder every year, which is great. Every good team needs one of those guys. But I don't think the O's are even thinking Mullins extension this this year. Let's wait till the 2023 season ends. Let's get to about a year from now. Let's evaluate how Mullins looked in 2023. Let's compare it to was it closer to 21 or was it closer to 22? And then I think the Orioles should be entering that phase because if it's closer to 2022, he has a three or four war season. He's solid, not amazing. You know, maybe he gets moved from the top of the lineup, but he's still an everyday player in center field. I think that would be a perfect time to extend it. You can maybe get him on a you know three or four year extension. You know, maybe fifteen ish million dollars a year. You bring him in. You know, keep him right in center field until like his mid thirties. He still has that speed that plays. The defense still plays. You know, there's research out there that fast players age better. Mullins is certainly a speedy player. Means he's probably going to age better throughout his thirties. I think his bat can continue to stay because he doesn't rely on the power. And I think it's a good thing to do. I just think next off season will probably be when that conversation comes up. At this point, I would like to see Mullins extended and sticking around in Baltimore. But i got three more questions to answer here coming up on a Mailbag Monday episode. We're going to finish up coming up next having to do with looking at what the Orioles' rotation could be on opening day. A question about Joey Gallo maybe in Baltimore. Then a question about the Orioles' backup catcher spot as well. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe because Here at Locked On Orioles, we believe home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Locked On Orioles listeners 40% off a new security system. But don't put this off. And, And here is why we love it. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use FastProtect technology exclusively from SimpliSafe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get higher priority police response. And the 24-7 professional monitoring service, it costs under a dollar a day. And here's the best and easiest part. They have a top-rated SimpliSafe app. You can stay in complete control of your system, arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, adjust the settings anytime, anywhere, right from your phone. So don't miss your chance to save big on our favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So we finish up here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Three more listener questions to get to here. And we start with our next question of the day that comes from Daniel on Twitter who asks, What is your best guess at the Orioles' starting rotation for the first week of the 2023 season? This is a good question, a good caveat on the question, too, because the rotation is going to look different in June than it looks in the first week. And also, as the O's have done the last couple of years, as a lot of teams have done the last couple of years, and I think they'll continue to do, is maybe start the year with a six-man rotation, and then as you go along, cut it down to five. So, if we're talking about right now, it's a different picture, but... I have this feeling the Orioles are going to sign Noah Syndergaard. I think they're going to end their offseason with Syndergaard and Gibson. So let's say they do that. If you're asking me to project the roster, I could still project moves that are made for the rest of the offseason. So let's say they get Noah Syndergaard. Here's what the rotation would look like. It'd be interesting because you have Syndergaard and Gibson as your two veterans. You're returning guys 
None of them exactly scream opening day starter. Maybe Grayson Rodriguez one day, but you don't want to make his first major league start on opening day. It's a little too much pressure. But are Noah Syndergaard and Kyle Gibson right now really opening day guys? I don't think so. So here's what I think the Orioles might do. Dean Kramer starts opening day. Then Noah Syndergaard's your number two. Kyle Bradish at three. Then you have Kyle Gibson at four. Grayson Rodriguez at five. And then you start with Tyler Wells as your number six starter. Now, maybe Rodriguez and Wells could be flipped. But that's kind of how you do it for the first week. Then you look at guys like D.L. Hall and Austin Voth. They're both on the team, kind of out of the bullpen, but are both piggyback guys. So you either have Voth or Hall piggyback with Grayson Rodriguez to kind of keep those innings down. And then maybe you have the other one ready for, you know, if Syndergaard or Bradish or Wells or whoever has to jump out early in their first start. You have Austin Voth right there on the roster ready to fill in. Now, what would be amazing? Now, again, I think best case scenario would be cool to see Hall and Rodriguez in the opening day rotation and just go time. But if the O's want to limit their innings, they're not sure both of them have a rotation spot. How cool would it be to see maybe the fifth game of the season where Grayson Rodriguez starts, you know, he pitches four innings, whatever it may be, and then in comes D.L. Hall for two or three innings after that to bridge it to the back end of the bullpen. That's not sustainable for an entire season, but to do that for a few times at the beginning of the year to kind of limit their innings, to go to a game and know I'm going to see bulk of Rodriguez and Hall pitch in this game, those games should be sold out at Camden Yards. That'd be fun. It's something the Orioles could do, but that would be my guess. Now, if they didn't make a signing at all, I'd probably still say Kramer, then Bradish, then maybe... Gibson, Rodriguez, Wells, and Hall. That would probably be my six to start the season. And before we pass off of this question, just did want to give a shout-out to the Canberra T-Ball Orioles, named after the Baltimore Orioles. Good luck in their season's upcoming, and good luck to the O's fans who are around the world, not just in the U.S. as well. And thank you to Daniel for the question. Next question comes from Todd via Twitter who asks, do you think Joey Gallo could be a good signing for the Orioles? Now, Gallo is someone I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times. In terms of left-handed hitters, he's probably the sixth or seventh best one left out there. Now, we know how bad it's been. Listen, 2022 for Gallo, 410 plate appearances with the Yankees and Dodgers, 85 WRC+. plus. He hit just 160. If he had been a qualified hitter, his 40% strikeout rate would have led the big leagues. But he still hit 19 homers. He still had a positive war. His defense went down a little bit, but it's still okay. He still had a 14% walk rate. And, you know, he's still young. And if you look back at what he did in 2021, 122 WRC+, plus, despite hitting just 199, he had 38 homers. He had an absurd 18% walk rate and a 35% K rate would still be around the league's highest. But he can work like that. Now, when you specifically look at 2021, remember he was with the Rangers, then he got traded to the Yankees. Before the trade to New York... With the Rangers, he was hitting 223. He had a 138 WRC plus with Texas. Gallo was very vocal about how much he did not like playing in New York for the Yankees. He said that after he got traded to the Dodgers in the middle of the season. Didn't really help the Dodgers. I mean, he was better with the Dodgers down the stretch, but he didn't even get a plate appearance in the playoffs with Los Angeles, so they didn't trust him that that much. But on kind of like a one-year, $10 million-ish deal, which is probably what Gallo's going to get, it's going to be a prove-it deal. And he didn't like the pressure of New York. He clearly performed better and less pressure in Texas. 
There's going to be much less pressure in Baltimore. Get him up there, try to pepper the flag court and, you know, hit 25 homers for the Orioles. Try to hit over 200. He's going to be a more valuable player now with the ban of the shift. He's a guy who the shift obviously hurts more than, than a lot of other players in baseball. He's going to get more hits. Should help the average up, get back up over 200. Again, it was at 160 last year. I don't think it's the worst idea. Do I want that to be the one hitter they sign? No, because you're putting a lot of eggs in the basket that could go horribly wrong. But I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. And the last question comes from Zach on Twitter who asks, what backup catcher options out there are clear upgrades over Robinson Chirinos? And this is interesting because Mike Elias has talked about it. Reports have been out there. The Orioles are looking for kind of more of a veteran backup catcher to bring in on probably a one-year free agent deal to back up Adley Rutschman this year because they did that with Robinson Chirinos last offseason. And Chirinos, although was a great leader in the clubhouse, was terrible on the field. Terrible defender, terrible framer, and terrible hitter. So the funny thing is, when you look at the current available catchers via free agency, pretty much everyone's better than Robinson Torinos. I mean, here's a list of guys that I came up with that are free agents that are better than Torinos and the Orioles could sign to be their backup. Omar Narvaez, Mike Zanino, Tucker Barnhart, Jorge Alfaro, Austin Hedges, Roberto Perez, Kurt Casale, Kevin Ploiecki, Andrew Knapp, Sandy Leone, Luis Torrens are all out there and are all at least marginally to a lot, lot better than Robinson Torinos and are all younger than Torinos as well. So all of those guys are an upgrade. So sorry, Zach, to not go as specific into some guys, but to answer your question, really, almost every catcher out there who has major league experience and is a free agent is going to produce better than Robinson Torinos did last year. He was just so bad on the field that it's it's not hard to upgrade on that. Now, I hope they do more than a marginal upgrade. I think Mike Zanino might be a good candidate. I like Roberto Perez. If they want to go full defense, I like Austin Hedges. If they want to get a guy who can maybe provide a good bat and maybe play when he's not catching, Omar Novaez is that guy as well. But yeah, most guys, an upgrade over Chirinos. But that'll do it for our Mailbag Monday episode. Again, if you submitted a question, but it was not answered today, do not worry. We had so many good questions that... I'm thinking we're going to do another mailbag episode coming up later this week, potentially even tomorrow on the podcast. So if you would like to get in a mailbag question to be answered later this week on a mailbag episode, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can tweet at the podcast at LockedOnOrioles or DM the account. The DMs are open as well. You can leave a comment on the YouTube channel under one of the videos, leave it as a mailbag question, or you can put it in the review section on Apple Podcasts. So leave a five-star rating for the podcast, and then when it tells you to leave a review, leave your mailbag question in there as well, and it will be answered on a future mailbag episode, which looks like we're going to have another one this week because of so many Orioles questions we got from you, the listener. And I thank you so much for tuning into the pod, liking, subscribing, watching, listening, and getting in those mailbag questions. But I'll be back here on the podcast tomorrow, maybe talking about a move the Orioles made, probably not, maybe doing another mailbag. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.